Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Rory Sutherland's On Brand, brought to you by Alf Insight. In each episode, we'll talk to the big names from the world of advertising, marketing and media to dissect and debate success, ingenuity and the future possibilities for our industry. And today we're looking at life insurance and a completely new brand who are already causing a bit of a stir and winning awards for their innovation in the process. Dead Happy is the company and Eddie Edwards is their head of brand. So, Eddie, welcome to the podcast. I have to say, full marks for bravery, because this is not a category that's um, uh, generally uh, famous for uh, extensive disruption, I think it's fair to say. As far as I can remember, the last big innovation in the field was a brilliant idea which came out of direct marketing, which was the great line, cash if you die, cash if you don't. Um, But you seem to be in the first major kind of disruptor in the category in, I suppose that was getting on for 50 years ago now, that was something from my childhood. So you've taken what might be seen as a hugely bold step by introducing humour into what is often a kind of taboo topic of death. Uh, What was the thought process behind it? And why does that matter so much to you as a brand? It's really about being an an antidote, I suppose. It's an antidote, firstly, I think you might have mentioned taboo. Um, We don't really like talking about death. Um, Death is a really uncomfortable subject. Um, The D word, death, people don't even like using the word itself. So it's an antidote to society and their view on death, but also the industry, which is just incredibly, as you said, it's, it's not really been that ripe for disruption before. It's dry, it's boring, um, it's safe, it's conservative. Um, and I think what we want to bring to this industry is a relationship rather than a transaction. It's a relationship. And we just see humour playing a huge part in that. So how does the product differ? Let, tell me the whole backstory, if you like. So... If we're going right back to why this, why, why Dead Happy exists, there is a, a kind of broader aspiration to this, which feels a bit lofty, but we would like to think that we, over time, will help to change attitudes to death. So our, if you like, our purpose is, is to do that, is to help change attitudes to death. And Dead Happy, the broader vision for Dead Happy is not just life insurance, it's actually death services or death products, or, or to be precise, to ask the question to any customer, any person, what do you want to happen when you die? And actually provide all sorts of options to enable decisions and choices for each customer to make that will help them in their lives to feel more comfortable, to have peace of mind, or to leave something for other people um, to enrich their lives after you've died. So I think if you bear that in mind, at the moment, because we're on a certain path and proving the model to investors, 
uh, making sure that we're sustainable as a commercial model, we're testing it with life insurance and it's doing really, really well. But actually the broader vision is to be much wider, to have much wider products and services within the debt space. So um, that gives you a little bit of context. In terms of life insurance, um, it's incredibly disruptive. So the product itself, and this is one of our challenges, Rory, is we're behaving differently. We're having a lot of fun. We're bringing a, an irreverent tone, um, a, an element of fun to signing up for life insurance and, and empowerment. But the product itself is, is innovative. Um, the traditional life insurance product is term insurance or level term insurance, uh, where you generally have a long period. You sign up to a long period, say 20 or 25 years, and you pay the same amount every month, 25 years, and there are all sorts of, in our minds, there are all sorts of inherent problems with that in terms of it's all based on risk. And if you don't know what somebody's going to be like, what their health's going to be like in 25 years, you have to build that risk into the payments. So you end up paying an awful lot of money, in our opinion. I mean, it's true. It's, it's front loaded, if you like. So the first half of that term, so for a 20 year term, you'll be paying, paying quite a lot in the first, those first 10 years. Um, to cover that perceived risk of what might happen over 20 years, we actually strip a lot of that out by actually offering a 10-year, what we have is a 10-year rolling um, policy. We call them plans, but a 10-year rolling policy where you sign up and refresh every year. And if you refresh and your your health hasn't changed adversely, then we recalibrate, we reset for another 10 years. So as long as you do that every year, continuously we'll just keep resetting for another 10 years another 10 years another 10 years but initially it's a 10-year policy or a 10-year rolling policy and because we um, limit that term and also we ask fewer questions only four questions um, we're taking a lot of the risk out of that agreement which means we can provide a product that's not only easier but a lot cheaper i think that's really interesting because it, it makes perfect sense what you're saying, because, of course, you're really front loading the policy in the sense that the risk in the first 10 years is probably manageable and reasonably knowable. And by committing to 20 years, you have to factor in a huge amount of uncertainty about what that person's health state might be like in 15 years time. That, in turn, makes the policy disproportionately unattractive to begin with, doesn't it? Essentially. Um, I think there's also a really interesting thing you're doing, which is I've always said, um, uh, in my book, I said, you know, sometimes the opposite of a good idea is another good idea. And if you have a product with a negative, in this case, that the subject matter is naturally a bit depressing, there are two ways you can handle it. You can duck it or you can tackle it head on. You know, Avis's great salient problem was that it wasn't quite as big as Hertz. So what they actually did is they said, we're number two, so we try harder. Guinness is a really slow drink to pour. So you tackle it head on and you effectively say good things come to those who wait. And I always think that's a very, very creative approach because the natural tendency of the highly logical person is to duck the thing that's unattractive. And there's always the opposite approach, which is actually you bring it right to the fore and you you tackle it straight from the beginning. You know, quite frankly, the American Express card is not for everyone, was a way of tackling the fact that the American Express card wasn't a very common kind of card compared to MasterCard and Visa, for example. And so I think you've done something brilliant there. And you also take it further with things like Death Wish, which is at the time you actually sign up to the policy, you give people some specific say and quite a lot of choice over where the money might go. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Because it intrigues me. Yeah, we, lo- we love death wishes, Rory. I mean, essentially, if you, if you take out a will, then you, 
clearly within your will, you have expressions of wishes. You have um, a place within a world to state what you would like to happen to certain things, your estate or material things or money and how you'd like that, where you would like it to go, to who, all that kind of stuff. What's interesting about applying death wishes to life insurance is it works in two ways. One, it gives you um, possibilities. You can use your imagination. You can state things that you would like people to do or state things that you would like your money to go towards from your life insurance policy. But it, it provides a really functional thing as well, which is a lot of people, and we got tons of feedback at the beginning of our journey where people didn't quite understand life insurance and they certainly didn't know how much life insurance to take out. So actually death wishes provide a mechanic where you can calculate how much you would like to cover your mortgage or to cover your funeral costs. So actually what we've done, we've built in is a process where you can go through and choose your death wishes, which will then allow you to calculate a more accurate um, amount that you'd like to be insured. But really the genius of death wishes is just enabling this kind of empowering your choices and actually bring into play all sorts of things like, I don't know. I mean, for us, death wishes are really how you want people to feel when you're gone. So there's an emotional attachment or an emotional bond to those death wishes. Um, it's not just about you and your calibration and your admin, and it's just you know, tying up loose ends, but it's how would you, you like your family to feel? Do you want to send them on a trip? Do you want to send your friends on a trip? Do you want to do something wacky or silly? Do you want personal messages from, from the, beyond the grave? So it works in two ways, but we think um, at the moment, again, Rory, this is kind of a part of the life insurance journey. But if you take that back to the beginning in terms of death products, it could work equally well for a will. So basically, you could create a death wish, which is just an expression of what you'd like to happen when you die. You could bind it into a will legally, or you could protect it in life insurance. Or you could just, it's just a place on deadhappy.com where you can store what you want to happen when you die and, and just share it with people if you feel like it. So. You know, it, it's, it's multi-pronged death wishes, but we think it's a shift from just going for an amount to actually building in emotionally different choices, what you would like to happen when you die. I've got to share with you one example from Twitter, which is my favourite example of a death wish. And it appeared on Twitter uh, a few weeks ago where a woman revealed one of her secrets was that her husband always had it as his dying wish um, that uh, everybody assumed that he led a double life. And she said, um, during the funeral, we had the funeral cortege followed by three blacked out Land Rovers. And we had actors standing at a distance from the graveside, dressed in trench coats, observing the funeral through binoculars. She said, in real life, he was just a bank manager with TSB, but I've never actually let on about this glorious sort of charade. But that always struck me as one of the best death wishes you could ever have, which is something to be remembered as this international man of mystery uh, with having people speculating about what you really did. Uh, that's the kind of death wish I'd have, I have to say. It's got a glorious sense of mischief to it. But you can also presumably change these wishes at any time, can you? We're bringing in a lot more. So flexibility is going to be a huge thing, Rory, as well. So at the moment, um, you can create your death wishes. You can. There's a certain amount of flexibility. Eventually, and not too in the not too distant future, you can change your amount at the, the touch of a button. But you can also just change how you calibrate those death wishes. So, for example, you might create a death wish now, but in two years' time, that might be superfluous or irrelevant, or you want to embellish it. So, essentially, you'll have a dashboard where you can flex your amount and you can change your death wishes um, in real time, whenever you like, for free. 
And uh, does that mean you've got to create a whole new part of the business to effectively enact people's wishes? Yes, if you want them to be legally binding, if you want them to be absolutely guaranteed that they're going to be enacted, then you're into the territory of wills. At the moment, I mean, this can get really crazy. I mean, that thing, the, the example you showed is brilliant. We've had all sorts of crazy ideas that people would like to do during their funeral or after their funeral, which, to be honest, it's probably up to the beneficiary whether they're really going to go through with it because it's probably more to do with their sensibilities and their sensitivities. So they can choose to say, this is what Dave wanted. So we're going to absolutely stick rigidly to this and make sure it happens. But it's not at the moment, it's not legally binding. So it's um, that that would be when we get into the more kind of the, the wills territory. You're moving into the wills territory is not only an obvious business move, but I'd argue it's also very, very necessary because the number of people who die in test date and the number of people who don't simply write or leave a will, uh, including, I think, myself until very recently, is extraordinarily high and actually a significant problem in many cases. Exactly right. I couldn't agree with you more. At the end of the day, life insurance is um, something that people, again, you know, we want people to want life insurance to understand the benefits of life insurance. But a lot of people with any kind of insurance kind of feel it's something they need to do just in case, which is which is fair enough. But as you rightly say, a lot of people, most people won't die during the, the term of having life insurance. Therefore, if death wishes are going to play a major part in our business and a major part in this kind of proposition, then wills is super important for that to, um, to, that, that to really um, push on. Well, I suppose one downside I can anticipate of this is it's much harder to sell through intermediaries because a fairly straight-laced financial advisor may feel a bit uncomfortable recommending a policy from a company called Dead Happy when all the others are fairly mainstream and indeed fairly boring insurance companies. Do you find yourself selling in either to particular demographies or to particular character types or do you confine yourself to certain channels? Well, firstly, we, we cut out the brokers. We don't have any relationship with uh, intermediaries or brokers, really. We're almost like performing that task directly. So the, the customer or the consumer comes directly to us. And I think this is another thing about, about life insurance is people are, they, they have a preconception that life insurance is going to cost them quite a lot. And even to set it up that they've got to go through a solicitor or they've got to go through an IFA. With us, it's online. They answer a few questions. They can set death wishes or they can just get a cash payout straight away. Um, but it cuts out that whole process of having some kind of formality of, of paperwork. Um, and because of that, and I think the way that we've launched the brand and the personality of the brand and the fact that it's so ultra convenient that you can do it on your phone in a few minutes, um, it is attracting a younger, a much younger audience than your, than your usual demographic for life insurance. Um, so it, it's not that we set Dead Happy up to be targeted at millennials. Millennials always come up, um, but because of the brand and the personality and the convenience and the enablement, it it, it appears. I mean, with our sweet spot is probably early thirties, but it goes from twenty five to forty five. That's really the very active demographic for Dead Happy at the moment, which is which is younger than most life insurance, I would say. Uh, and usually, people get life insurance probably because their bank or their mortgage supplier has suggested it. Um, whereas we're actually getting people who aren't even homeowners, um, who just feel as though they have some responsibility or they have some kind of um, reason to protect or to leave people with something more when they die. So it is, it's a younger demographic. 
And because of that, also, I mean, Facebook can get a bit old, but we're we're getting most of our traffic through Facebook and Instagram and TV, recently TV, so DRTV. I think that's actually fantastically important because someone in their 30s wouldn't think of taking out this form of insurance because the idea of your death is remote. But two people, for example, a couple sharing a home should probably give some thoughts to what happens if they end up with only one salary and a mortgage for two, for example. Yeah, exactly. That's probably fair, isn't it? So you're filling actually, uh, your unusual demography is filling a very necessary gap in the market. Well, if we're going to get kind of serious about it, Rory, that, you know, there is a really serious, we, we have a lot of fun with this brand and we have a lot of fun with the copywriting and the marketing and the advertising. We, we make some crazy little films, but there is a serious point to this, which is the protection gap. And we're talking about eight and a half million people in the UK that don't have life insurance that probably should have in terms of leaving people behind with some kind of debt or responsibility. Uh, and I think it's about, I think it's 42% of people with a mortgage don't have life insurance. So that's huge. And that's, you know, if they do die, if, especially if it's the so-called breadwinner or, you know, the higher earner, if they die and the person, they, their partner that they leave behind can't afford the mortgage, then they're in trouble. So it's a huge, there's a huge protection gap there. And that is, on a serious note, that is something we're trying to close. That's a huge part of our challenge, if you like, and our, our proposition. Yep. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Do you you think the same cheeky approach could probably work with pensions? I've obviously, in behavioural science, I've done a lot of work with trying to get people to save for pensions earlier. Now, part of my argument is, look, uh, you know, at the age of 25, 30, you have other priorities in your life other than your retirement, finding a partner, perhaps, you know, putting money into property. It may be, you know, it could be a off simply furnishing that property. So part of me always says, look, to some extent, forget about it. But equally, both the design of pensions, but also the language that surrounds pensions is ridiculously geriatric. I mean, the fact that you put money away, which you can't really retrieve, 
is kind of ridiculous because you can't ask a 25-year-old to put money away that they won't be able to touch until they're 55 because that's simply an absurd request to make of anybody. So do you have do you have an interesting kind of approach to look at the successes from Dead Happy and perhaps apply them to other areas as well, which I think are ripe for disruption? Yeah, we've. Um, I mean, there there are, there are loads of different ways we could we could actually migrate this kind of brand, if you like, and this kind of definitely this kind of attitude. I know that when I was first offered a pension in, you know, when I was 22 or 23, I pushed it away because it just didn't feel relevant. And I felt I was being sold something. I was, the IFA would come into my place of work and draw me charts about what would happen to my money and how I've got to start now. Um, and I pushed it away because it didn't feel part of my world. It didn't feel relevant. And weirdly enough, linked to death or growing old even, it just didn't really seem that appropriate. I wasn't bothered. I wasn't worried about, about that. So I think equally with dead happy or pensions or any long-term financial planning, making it understandable, making it digestible, making it appropriate um, is huge. And I think I think that's an important part of our attitude. Um, and it, yeah, it could absolutely. I think Habito are doing it to a certain extent with mortgages. Uh, uh, and I, I, I think this kind of attitude, I think people are bored of the B2B, this ultra so-called professional corporate um, approach. I think you just got to relate to people. And you're a, you're a brand guy, Rory. It's about an emotional connection, isn't it? It's about building emotional connections with people and people wanting to be part, allowing a brand to be part of their lives because it's meaningful or useful. And that's what we're trying to do. And we're doing it with a bit of, you know, with a, with a smile. And why wouldn't you do that? Just because it's a financial product. Why does it have to be boring? Why does it have to be dull? Why does it have to be complicated? Make it straight talking, make it simple cut out the waffle, cut out the jargon, it's unnecessary. It really is unnecessary, and we're proving that. The, the other thing that would strike me as interesting, talking to independent financial advisors, and I have to say, by the way, that um, I think that Zoom will actually change the role of uh, financial advisors because I'm partly paying a financial advisor to bully me, and I partly want them not necessarily to help me get the most out of the market, but to bully me to be into the market in the first place. And one thing is, I'm not necessarily happy being bullied face to face, but Zoom bullying strikes me as just, a, just about the right amount of encouragement that I need. If I've got someone face to face who says, look, I'll send you the form, can you just sign it? I'll probably go, yeah, fair enough, if it keeps you happy. Um, so I think, I think there's, there's potential. I think I can see fairly rapid change in this market. One of the things the advisors always tell me is that people aren't nearly well insured enough against effectively loss of earnings, loss of income, in particular against medical conditions that make them unable to work. And that tends to be the blind spot in many people's uh, insurance repertoire. Do you have any plans to expand into that area, either with your brand or a different brand? Yep, we've got, well, we've got um, our version of critical illness. It's not exactly the same as traditional critical illness, but we've got, we've already launched that, which we call near death. So we have, we have our life insurance or death insurance, and we have near death insurance. So we're already making a foray into that as well, Rory. You, you can't get it on its own. It has to be a bolt on to life insurance at the moment. It's too, probably too boring and detailed to go into that. But at the moment, it's life insurance, near-death insurance, and and wills, which we've launched, but but, but testing at the moment. Um, but definitely, I mean, there's it, there's only so much we can go into in in the time that we have. But once you start opening your eyes to anything linked with having choices to do with what you want to happen when you die, it opens up all sorts of different possibilities. I mean, including you know, what do you do with your digital identity? What do you do with um, 
with all the passwords? What do you do with this, you know, this crazy complicated world that we've created now? What do you do once you, if you die suddenly, have you filed them away? Who gets them? How do they get access to them? Do you actually, you know, blockchain is a huge kind of a, an area that we could um, leverage in the future in terms of changing your will or your life insurance in real time and having it tracked in the blockchain. So there are loads of different um, opportunities for where, the, where the, this brand can go. Um, whether Dead Happy and the tone of Dead Happy can sustain all of those things or is appropriate for all of those things, we'll wait and see. But we've got loads of plans for for where this this brand, actually Dead Happy, can go. I mean, I think it actually you've probably got a more brand elasticity there than would would appear at first glance, haven't you? Because essentially, you know, this is, uh, you know, the promise ultimately is that you will end your life in a happy state. Uh, so actually, you probably can create more of a one-stop shop than at first glance may be obvious. I mean, one real opportunity for cross-selling, of course, is that the conventional financial providers are so unbelievably bad at it. They're very bad at upselling and they're very bad at cross-selling. And this has obviously been a very persistent problem. David Ogilvy ranted about this in the 1970s, saying, I have retirement plans with two separate companies. Neither of them ever writes to me and suggests that I buy a bit more. The fools, as David Ogilvy said. And I've noticed this is a persistent problem. Pension providers make it actively difficult for you to top up your pension with a one-off payment. And it's a very, very bizarre, uh, it's a very, very bizarre system that, that essentially, quite often, if you had a surprise lump sum, the best place to put it would be into your pension. And yet try doing that and you enter a nightmare world of form filling, writing checks, you know, writing letters to an industrial estate somewhere in Bristol, which handles your pension, and then sending off a cheque which gets cashed and receiving no confirmation that the money has been received. So the opportunity there simply to create um, far greater what you might call everyday involvement with financial products, it seems to be just a yawning gap. And I, I, I hope you'll capture that. That must be part of your plan. It definitely is. I mean, you, you basically just come and work with us, Rory, because you're speaking our language. But in terms of, as I said at the beginning of this piece, it's a relationship. At the moment, life insurance or a will, you sign a contract, you go through reams of paperwork, you sign effectively an agreement, and then you're left alone for 20 or 25 years. It may be that your IFA checks in with you. Actually, what happens is, usually based on their terms, is they realize that you've moved house or you have children or you've got married, and so your life has changed. And so they come to you and say, your life insurance actually isn't adequate anymore. You need to upgrade it. And that usually means you're paying more for another life insurance policy. So essentially, you'll cancel your first long-term life insurance policy, of which you've paid up front and, and up, uploaded for a few years. Maybe we, we think about seven or eight years is the average, maybe nine, but seven, eight or nine years is the average for a life insurance, a traditional life insurance policy, in which case you pay way too much up front to then cancel it and start a new one. What you probably should do is keep that original one running and top it up with a different one. But we're negating all of that and saying, actually, just have a shorter term agreement that can that can be reset every year and actually just check in with us every year. So we've got a relationship with you. You just tell us if anything's changed or not. And if it hasn't, we'll reset it. If, it, if anything's changed, in fact, if you want to decrease your payments and have less cover because you've paid off a lot of your mortgage, or you want to increase it because you've got a family or because you've got a bigger home, 
then you can do that in real time straight away. So it's that relationship thing. And I think that's what you're talking about, Roy. Is why would you wait for five years or seven years? You've got it exactly, yeah. Because I mean, one of the absolute things I notice is that um, uh, that business of cancelling your old policy and starting a new one creates so much confusion that in my case, it always leads to paranoia, which is that I will in fact die, I will have life insurance, but my wife won't know about it. Okay, now I've always wondered about that. What happens when you die? Because insurance companies provide very little reassurance around the fact that they'll actually go right to my wife, say, we notice your husband's died, here's some money. And I always have this secret niggling fear at the back of my mind that if my wife doesn't know about the policy, they'll just nick the money. Now, I'm sure it's slightly better organised than that, but still, the fear still persists. What actually happens at the end? With us, you put down who the, um, who the main contact is or the beneficiary, and they are contacted um, soon after. So it is, it's, I think, the, to be fair to the, to the industry, we're good at knocking them. We, we like attacking the traditional life insurance industry, but the industry as a whole is actually nowhere near as bad at paying out as people make out. It's a huge percentage that actually are successfully claimed and paid out. Uh, and we're no different. But I think with us, again, what we're trying to do is get a relationship with somebody where they have a dashboard. They actually can go into that dashboard at any time and just update it. They don't have to fill in a form. They don't have to. It's not unwieldy or boring or complicated. They can go in and change that if they want to change beneficiaries, if they want to change a contact name, they can do it on their phone within minutes. It's not a big deal at all. They don't have to pay anybody to change to change anything. So, again, sorry, it's a bit boring. I'm repeating myself, but it's that checking in and having a relationship with a customer as you would with even with other insurances like car insurance at least it's every year with life insurance it can be literally 10 15 years in some cases so it's just crazy so updating information updating beneficiaries but in terms of being notified then of course you have to have the right details logged but it's it's fairly straightforward in that respect it's interesting because I guessed that actually the insurance industry was far better at paying out than I suspected, but it still leaves that niggling fear, doesn't it? Which is, how will anybody know? Or what if, because I've been seriously ill, I've missed the final payment and I, they claim I'm somehow no longer eligible? I think that paranoia with insurance, insurance companies could do much more to assuage that fear. Because if they told me how the mechanism would work in the event of my death, I'd feel a lot more confident putting the money in. At the moment, I always feel that, you know, I, I suppose the financial services industry as a whole category hasn't done itself any favours over the last 20 years. So one of the reasons I think your brand disruption is valuable is the the very fact of being different is valuable in itself. It is. And we're behaving very differently. But I do, I do want to go back to the product as well. That You know, people not actually probably knowing what your wishes are or not not trusting that actually this information is going to be passed on and the payment's going to be made. A large part of our offering, if you like, and a large part of our strategy moving forward is sharing. And at the moment, if you create, it's an industry, it's quite a secretive industry. So you create a life insurance policy or a will and you keep it to yourself. You file it away or you give it to your solicitor. We're giving people the option if they want to actually share the information. So if they create a death wish and it involves you, then they can actually email you or WhatsApp you and tell you what that is if you want that to happen. It could be a death wish that's really funny, like the one you shared before, and people might just want to share it on Facebook to raise a smile or a laugh. So actually sharing that information, rather than just keeping it locked away in a filing cabinet, is a hugely beneficial part of our proposition as well. And you can do that with technology at the push of a button as soon as you've created your policy. 
And I also think that the fact that, as you said, it's ongoing and rolling uh, makes it much more engaging, but also makes it much more trust inspiring in the sense that I always find it eerie the way that I put a lot of money into a pension and they appear to forget my existence as soon as I've signed up to this arrangement. In other words, I become a non-person except for once a year where they send me, uh, you know, in a large um, C4 envelope, a large amount of incomprehensible information, which I had a friend who was a Cambridge economist, okay, and he said, I said, do you, do you read all that stuff? And he said, no, I can't make any sense of it at all. So I thought, well, if he can't make any sense of it, there's not much hope for the rest of us, to be honest. And so I think your whole policy of ongoing engagement is not only a nice policy from a product standpoint, I think it's a good psychological policy as well. So, I mean, congratulations for that. I think it is really mold-breaking. It's kind of risky at the same time as well, Rory. So it, it's almost counterintuitive because if you have a gym membership, for example, which I've had in the past and never went, they, they rarely get in touch with you and say, you know, are you sure you still want it? Do you want to cancel it? What we're actually saying is we check in every year with them. So we're actually risking people saying, you know, I've had it for three or four years. I don't actually really feel as though I need it anymore. We'll, we'll just cancel it. So we kind of don't care as long as we have that relationship of, I know it sounds a bit trite, uh, but we, we really do mean it. It's up to you. You choose what you want to do. If you want to upgrade, downgrade, cancel, start again, take a will, reenact life insurance you can do it in real time whenever you like but by having that engagement we're actually risking people cancelling if you like but we don't we don't care as long as it we're seen as being the most honest um, life insurance company out there well all i can say is uh, i wish you every success i mean you know i can see that there will be audiences that you won't resonate with that arguably as you get closer to death maybe it ceases to be funny there was always the observation someone gave me which is that people stop buying toilet duck when they have a baby because toilet hygiene is no longer a subject for ironic humor and that you may find yourself with a little bit of a cutoff period in terms of the demography of your customers but what you're doing is going precisely for the group of customers who are massively underserved so all I can say, Eddie, is it's been absolutely fascinating and rewarding to talk to you. And thank you so much for your time today. It's been glorious. Pleasure. Thank you, Rory. Well, that's all for this episode of On Brand. This podcast is brought to you by Alf Insight. And for more information on powering your business growth, visit their website, which is at alfinsight.com, A-L-F-insight.com. The series is produced and expertly edited by Ultimate Sound and Vision. And to make sure you receive the next episode, of course, please do subscribe. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, then give us a like. Everybody, thanks for listening and speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 